This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I'm here with my usual co-hosts, uh, Amy Bird and megachurch pastor, the Reverend Todd Pruitt. And today we have a special guest, actually the first guest we've had live in the studio, if I can <laughs> glamorize <laughs> it with that name, live in the studio for over a year. It's Dr. Mike Emlett, who is a faculty member and a counselor at CCEF, the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, uh, in just outside Philadelphia, very close to Westminster Seminary. Mike is a qualified medical doctor, but now spends most of his time doing counseling work for for churches, for, for Christians who are struggling with one issue or another. But his medical background, in many ways, makes him a uniquely helpful resource for pastors and Christians because he's not only uh, competent to care for the soul of people, but he also has that high degree of competence in caring for the body, the physiological aspects. And he's written a, a very interesting, very helpful book, a book that I would certainly urge everybody out there, particularly pastors and elders, to get hold of, a book called Descriptions and Prescriptions, a Biblical Perspective on psychiatric diagnoses and medications, dealing with that issue that will come up again and again in counseling situations in the church. To what extent do we see any 
problem as it presents itself to us as a, as a spiritual one? And, and to what extent do we see it as perhaps having physiological causes? And how do we see those two things coordinating? So welcome to the show, Mike. Great to have you have you with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Perhaps you'd like to start by just telling us why you wrote the book and who the sort of the target audience is and what you hope the book will achieve. Sure. I, I wrote the book because I think, particularly when you have conversations in the church, you realize just what a spectrum of opinions there are uh, on the issue of psychiatric diagnoses and medications. So on the one end of the spectrum, you have people who are very negative towards the idea of psychiatric diagnoses, very negative toward medications. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are like, what's the problem? And would be very, I have a very low threshold for using those kind of medications. And so I felt like there was a need for a resource that tried to strike a middle road uh, between those those two extremes. And so the book is oriented towards uh, helpers in the church, toward pastors, elders, deacons, small group leaders, ministry leaders within the church. You know, I have to say, I read it and you kindly sent it to me in manuscript some time ago. It is very well written and very accessible. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. need to be a professional Right. to be able to grasp what Mike's trying to tell you in the book. And one of the things we were talking about before Mike came was how succinct it is. You, you put right. a lot of information yeah. in a succinct way. I can't way. even believe how succinct well, it is. Yeah, and, and, and it's succinct in the best way possible. In other words, mm-hmm. there's nobody, this book is not exclusionary to anybody. Anybody in the church should be able to pick up this mm-hmm. book and really be helped by it. They're mm-hmm. not, they're not going to be intimidated by overly technical jargon, and they're not going to be intimidated because it's 500 pages long. It's brief, but it packs everything in there. And so as I was reading it, I mean, I was a quarter of the way through it, and I said, oh, gosh, everybody on our session and all of our Mm. deacons need this. But beyond that, also, the thing, as I read through further, Mike, and and saw your discussions on the nature of psychiatric diagnoses Mm -hmm. and that was so helpful. I, I thought, mm. you know, really, this is great for lay people as well because of the proliferation of it seems like everybody has just enough knowledge about, you know, psychiatric care to be dangerous, you know, right. and yeah. and so you have some really good discussions in here about things we need to be careful of, you know, just how subjective oftentimes diagnoses are when it comes to mm-hmm. to psychiatric welfare. And I wonder if you would just unpack that for a minute, help people understand What goes into the process of a psychiatric diagnosis? Sure. Well, basically, it's very similar to what happens in any physician's office. Someone comes in, they report certain symptoms, Mm -hmm. problems with their thinking or their mood, perhaps their behavior. And then the evaluating physician or psychiatrist will observe, are there signs that the person's thinking is disordered or their, their mood is altered or they're acting in a, in a strange way? And together, those signs and symptoms point to a particular mm-hmm. diagnostic entity. So in that sense, it's not dissimilar to what happens in any physician's office. The challenge is that there are no in a sense, corroborating tests. There's no Mm -hmm. particular blood test or scan that you can do in the brain that confirms a psychiatric diagnosis. And so though there's a lot of similarity, there's one place where there's where there's difference. As yet, we don't have those kinds of tests to corroborate diagnoses. So what is it then that a diagnosis can do helpfully 
and you talk very well about what it can't do. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's pretty validating sometimes to hear a diagnosis and to understand that there's a category for what you're going through. That's just the beginning, really. I mean, what is it? I think we put a lot of faith into getting the diagnosis and then um, not knowing what to do with it. Right. So one of the things, so it's important then, I think, to understand that the psychiatric diagnoses are descriptions. Mm -hmm. They're not explanations for this person's struggle. Right. However, just because they are descriptions doesn't mean there are no explanatory clues at all. So I think you already highlighted that, Amy, that just having a a name or a, it can point to a particular form of suffering that then can draw particular attention. Oh, how can I, if this person is struggling in this particular way with this constellation of Mm -hmm. signs and symptoms, how best can we help them? So I think sometimes psychiatric diagnoses are very helpful in that way in terms of drawing attention to the fact this person needs help. What they're experiencing is out of the norm from what you or I might experience. So we all experience, for example, uh, anxiety, mm-hmm. but not all of us have you know, severe incapacitating panic attacks mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So I think in that sense, a psychiatric diagnosis can point to severity of issues. Yeah. So how does then the biological and factor, the spiritual factor, and then you also add in the lifestyle factor, which is important as well in a diagnosis, let's say, such as anxiety. And, and, and maybe you could unpack for us, you talk a little bit in comparison with getting medical diagnosis of high blood pressure, that there's yeah. other factors that there's so many different factors that can contribute to that. So yeah. it has to be more of a holistic treatment. Could you unpack that a little bit? Sure. The analogy would be that of of high blood pressure, as you alluded to. There are many different aspects that factor into someone's high blood pressure. It could be genetics, so they could have a very strong genetic history of hypertension. It could be issues of diet, so someone may be eating a very bad diet full of salt, overeating, so they may struggle with being overweight. That's going to contribute to to the problem. Stress in a day-to-day basis can elevate blood pressure. So there are multiple aspects that can go into to someone's blood pressure. And similarly, that can be true and is true for psychiatric diagnoses. There's not generally one aspect of causation. There may be a physical, genetic aspect to the person's struggle But certain lifestyle choices, certain decisions that the person is making, those factor in. The person's relationship with the Lord and how they are viewing their walk with him, that's going to factor in as well. So the the spiritual life is never off the table as well Mm -hmm. when we talk about psychiatric diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So a multiplicity of factors have to be taken into consideration. Right. And talking about medication, if someone has been predisposed medically to high blood pressure, all the dieting in the world, they still might need to take the medication. Whereas someone else might be able to handle it well without the medication, just with diet and stress management and thing, and even in their spiritual lives as well. That's exactly right. So even making lifestyle changes, even exercising, doing everything that you would need to do to have good care of your body may not be enough in someone that has a very strong uh, genetic component to high blood pressure. Same thing for psychiatric uh, disorders. There are certain psychiatric disorders, uh, schizophrenia comes to mind, bipolar, mm-hmm. 
where there's been an established very strong genetic uh, component to that. And so it isn't that a person is making, in a sense, decisions to have a lifestyle that predisposes to schizophrenia. The genetic factors are very important there. Let's take a sort of specific case, Mark. If you had somebody, you know, you're a pastor and somebody comes up to you and they're, they're addicted to something, you know, pornography or alcohol or drugs, and I believe we now know that the body sort of physiologically adapts to addiction. So if you're continually looking at pornography, your brain, the neuroplasticity of the brain sort of rewires itself effectively mm-hmm. to make that a compulsion. But clearly an addiction is also a spiritual problem. So mm-hmm. how do you go about parsing and helping somebody where, yes, there is a physical component to this, a physiological aspect to it, but there's also clearly a very deeply spiritual aspect to it as well. How do you address mm-hmm. those two halves of, of the issue? Yeah, but because both are important. I mean, God has made us body, spirit creatures, and so attention to both aspects of our constitution is important uh, in pastoral ministry. So something like addictions, Ed Welch talks about the fact that addictions is a worship disorder. And I think that's, that's right. You see that in, in scripture, that anything that you're, that you're moving towards, that, you're, that you love more than the living God, that's an issue of idolatry. That's an issue of worship. So it's a worship disorder, but it is also a worship disorder that hooks the body. So mm. there's a way in which as you partake of certain substances or even pornography, there's, there's research that shows some of the brain changes you alluded to, that that actually starts to impact the body and it exacerbates that enslavement cycle. So in a sense, I'm drawn, my loves draw me in this way, but my body makes those ruts deeper. And so that's why treatment of someone who is addicted has to look at both aspects. And would you recommend, say, I don't have somebody like this, but let's just say there's somebody in the congregation who's addicted to drugs. Would you recommend that that I not only talk to them or somebody talks about the spiritual aspects, but we also get a medical help, you know, put it as simply as that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a situation where you absolutely want to get medical input. Sometimes, depending on the nature of the addiction and the substance, they may actually require detoxification. Okay. They may require mm-hmm. a time under medical supervision yeah. where the substance of abuse is withdrawn because sometimes, say alcohol even, someone stopping it suddenly can have particular issues. Mike, you're a churchman. You have a high view of Scripture. You believe in the role of the church. You have a high view of the role of the church in the lives of people and and as it touches on some of these issues. And this is probably going to be a really broad question, but I'll, I'll throw it to you anyway. So I was talking to you earlier, and Carl and I have talked about this a lot. We deal as pastors, and you as, I believe, an elder in, in your church, mm-hmm. we deal with issues of mental health a lot, people struggling in various degrees um, within within our churches. And so discussions about mental health come up a lot in session meetings and and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. What would be some of the signs we want to look for when we can conclude, you know, it's time we we refer this person to meet with a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And I I say psychiatrist intentionally because of the the medical component there. What might be some signs that pastors, elders, et cetera, want to look to, to say, okay, now's the time to get possible medical intervention mm-hmm. for this person. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly one factor would be issues of, of psychosis. Mm-hmm. So if a person has delusions, these fixed false beliefs that they cannot uh, be argued out of, 
they uh, they have hallucinations. So they're they're seeing things, they're mm-hmm. hearing things that simply aren't there. That absolutely, I think, requires referral. You'll see that, but it's not, I think more common is someone who may be struggling with severe depression or different uh, severe forms of anxiety that though they are seeking to follow the Lord and they are receptive to counsel, they don't seem to be getting better. Um, And that could be a sign that, as we were talking earlier, maybe there's a more genetic, Mm -hmm. familial, biological aspect to their, their struggle. And that could require an evaluation for the possibility of, of medications. Yeah. When a person is dealing with, with some real severe anxiety or depression, and I'm intentionally asking you a hard question because I'm just curious to see how you might navigate it. How long do we as, as pastors and elders counsel with that person, take them to the, now we never stop taking them to the scripture, sure. but how long do we labor in those efforts without the help of a psychiatrist, if that question mm-hmm. makes sense. At what point do we say, goodness, Yeah, this really does require, this person's life might be in danger. Mm-hmm. What point do we make that call? Right. That's, I mean, that's a real wisdom uh, issue. For sure, if a person uh, in their depression is suicidal, absolutely, I'd want to get uh, someone that additional help. If someone is having, has had depression before, and this is a recurrence uh, or multiple recurrences, that also might be a person that if they haven't already mm-hmm. seen a psychiatrist in the past, I would want to refer them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it is a, it's a wisdom yeah. decision. There's no algorithm to know right. when, but you know, I judge, uh, you know, seek to judge with the person, with members of their family, mm-hmm. with other people in the leadership in the church. Where is this person? You know, are they, are they a danger to themselves or others? Absolutely. Then I want to get a referral. But is the suffering and the struggling been long enough without help, that additional help that it might be beneficial? So the other day I was listening to a podcast and this woman was describing how her boyfriend she discovered had been stealing from her and even uh, right out of her bank account and in her checks and everything. And so she confronts him about it. And this was a very generous giving man. Like she'd known him that way. And he confesses to her that he has impulse control disorder. <laughs> and, you know, at this point I'm thinking, I think I impulse control well. disorder. I think that's called sin, you know, like, so at what point, I mean, I think that we're kind of over-diagnosing in a lot of ways yeah. and, and we're diagnosing sin with a uh, disorder. Uh, do you see a lot of that even in the church? I mean, this was a secular podcast I was listening sure. to, but even the the person interviewing her was like, hold, hold on a second here. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's trying to be sympathetic, but. I mean, I think that can happen for sure. I think that's one of the problems or one of the limitations or pitfalls of psychiatric, the whole psychiatric diagnostic enterprise is that certain behaviors are, are recast as mental illness, in this case, an impulse disorder, an impulse control disorder, kleptomania. I don't know what the guy described uh, as his particular, you know, diagnosis within that. But I think that's where we, you know, where we need to be careful that we're not uh, completely relabeling uh, something that the scripture speaks abundantly about. That doesn't mean a person who is in a sense driven or feels this impulse or compulsion to steal 
clearly that person is struggling and I want to, I want to help them. I want to walk alongside them, but I also want to, you know, call a spade a spade. I want to be able to say, well, (laughs) there are things that, that you're doing that are clearly contrary to scripture. Um, even if you're Well, that's a real struggle with mental disorders anyway, is, um, I mean, sin, it's so easy to sin when you are suffering Mm -hmm. with a mental disorder. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's a struggle with everyone who has mental disorders, but this one for me particularly seemed to have crossed (laughs) crossed that line. Yeah. And I would say most of the people that I work with aren't in, aren't in that category. They, I think, seek to have a balance. So even if they have been given a psychiatric diagnosis, they're seeking to walk with Christ. They're seeking to honor him. So whether on medication or off medication, whether diagnosed or not, they're seeking to honor him. But that's, that's a more extreme case, but it certainly exists for sure. And this probably speaks a little bit to you make reference in the book. If it comes time for you to seek out a psychiatrist, to try to find one who is a Christian, who has a high view of scripture mm-hmm. uh, that you mentioned. And, you know, that example alone, I think, helps illustrate why a yes. biblical worldview would help a psychiatrist, <laughs> because that psychiatrist Absolutely. Could, could, could weigh the difference between mm-hmm. what this person needs medication for and what this person probably just needs conviction and discipleship for. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's and that, I think that's critical psychiatrists with a robust biblical worldview are not incredibly common. I mean, that's, that's a challenge, but certainly wherever you, wherever you are pastoring, wherever you are working, you want to know who's in your community. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there anyone like that in your community and and establish that kind of relationship with them? Right. And as you said, there's not a, an excess of Christian psychiatrists with a high view of scripture. And so so how might a pastor or a session connect with an unbelieving psychiatrist if it's the only option? And again, if I need brain surgery, I don't care if the guy's an atheist. If he's the best brain surgeon. He has to have good eyesight, though. And so to a certain extent, if someone has expertise in psychiatry in terms of mental illnesses, I want to make sure that they're good at that. That said, as you point out in the book, diagnosing psychiatric problems is different than diagnosing cancer Mm -hmm. oftentimes Mm -hmm. because you can't always take these kinds of tests. So do you have any words of counsel for pastors or elders in interacting with unbelieving psychiatrists that they want to maybe refer somebody to? Sure. I mean, I think just establishing a relationship and asking some questions, I mean, knowing where did this individual train? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they keep up with the medical and psychiatric literature um, so that they, from their professional standpoint, are doing best, you know, best case care? Yeah. Those would be the kinds of things I'd want to know. Many times, secular psychiatrists, after an initial diagnosis, particularly if medication is involved, they're seeing that person not for counseling, but for medication management. And as long as you can establish, in a sense, that kind of working relationship where you're providing counsel, that psychiatrist can be be managing the medication. And I think just having an ongoing dialogue would be beneficial. Yeah, that's good. Question, Mike, uh, sort of broader question. Uh, I mean, I guess as a pastor, and Todd would confirm this, probably the number one pastoral issue we find these days is internet pornography. Mm -hmm. That's pretty common. But that's part of a, it's a sort of one example of this wider technologized society we now have. We were talking before we started recording about how 
everybody is glued to the third screen, the, the little gadget they carry in their pocket. Have you seen as a counsellor during your time, and you've been counselling now for many years, are you seeing a major shift in the kind of counselling problems that are coming up in the church that are connected to our addiction to connection to technology, not just internet pornography, that's the obvious mm-hmm. one, but other mm-hmm. other things that are starting to come in that that you think for both as a counselor and as a as an elder in the church are having a a bad effect on Christian discipleship. Hmm. That's a good question. I I think there'd be I'd be hard pressed to say here's the direct uh, line. But I wonder about some of the indirect lines. So the the more disconnected we are from one another, the more mm-hmm. we are looking at devices rather than one another, having less conversations, less involved in community, I wonder as that fabric gets, you know, torn a bit, does that contribute to some of the dislocation people experience, some of the anxiety, some of the depression? So I wonder in that sense whether there are more indirect aspects to the issue. I've seen a number of articles in newspapers saying you never know what to believe in the newspapers but recently saying that those who disconnect from the internet have seen their anxiety levels drop mm. and have just started to yeah. enjoy life just more have and friendships you know yeah. more yeah. friendships i think mm-hmm. or do you think yeah. <laughs> would i mean friendship kind of has natural counseling built into it Absolutely. and particularly for men i think they just don't have those kind of friendships as much anymore and and not only because of the internet but just busyness in general, mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, they just had more people to talk to. There's no doubt that that's critical. And that's, that's one of the prescriptions, basically, in your yeah. book yeah. at one point is relationships. Yeah. And that's shown even in the most severe mental illnesses. So oh, there have wow. been some recent studies in, in schizophrenia that you actually can potentially lower the medication in someone if they are very involved in uh, in a community wow. and in you know very direct uh, counseling wow. so that speaks highly yeah. to the importance of community and friendships mm-hmm. and proactive right. relationships it takes back to creation you know, god said it's not good for man to be mm-hmm. alone and mm-hmm. in some ways we've created systems of being alone in a crowd mm-hmm. right yeah I was just in the airport last night in, in Detroit and looking around, and I was reading a book. I wasn't chatting to anybody, but everybody there was glued to mm-hmm. a screen, mm-hmm. even families. And my wife and I have noticed you know, every now and then we'll go out for a nice meal, and you know, if you're spending a fair bit of money on a nice meal, mm-hmm. I want to talk to my wife while we're there. <laughs> and, and we're always amazed looking around the room at these yeah. nice restaurants at the couples who are out spending maybe $150 right. for, mm-hmm. for the meal sitting looking at their mm-hmm. screens and not at each other. Well, people something. rarely talk to each other on the airplane anymore, I've noticed. Well, I hate that. I, I must admit, I don't know. I always have my earphones in, even if I'm not listening to music, it stops people, stops people speaking to me. True confession. Well, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> well, and, and what you need, what you need, Carl, is, is a hug. Uh, I do. Uh, I, I think a good firm handshake is always required. <laughs> what about um, children, Mike? How do they fit into the counselling world? To what extent do I mean? Teenagers are always angst-ridden mm-hmm. and have been time immemorial. How do you you make a call on, say, counselling a, a teenager who's 
you know, to what extent do you say, well, look, you're just gazing at your own navel. Life's not that bad. Get on with it. <laughs> and, and, or, wow, I think actually there is something unusual here. We yeah. have a problem mm-hmm. and, and perhaps this person needs medical help or needs mm-hmm. special counselling. How? I know it's difficult always to talk in generalities without a specific example, but what are the kind of th- questions that are going through your mind when you have a, you know, with teenage suicide rates mm-hmm. rising? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is, this is an important area to look at. What, what sort of questions would you have in mind when confronted with a younger person? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one thing is simply to take them seriously. And though certainly the teenage years can be a time when there's a lot of up and down in terms of emotions, I want to be careful that I'm not simply putting that into the into the category of this too shall pass. And so I think having the kinds of conversations and asking the kinds of questions that will draw your teen out. And I generally find that happens on car rides when you're sitting side by side more car often rides, than, yes. uh, you know, than, <laughs> than face to face. But I think those are important yeah. conversations yeah. to have. So you take seriously and try to, and some teens are, verbal processors and they really will talk about it other teens are much you know more reticent and you have to work harder but i think it's it's an important thing so to take do. them seriously take like them seriously interesting. yeah interesting well obviously this is something that we could go on and on about um it's been really good to have dr mike Imlet with us as we mentioned earlier his new book descriptions and prescriptions a biblical perspective on psychiatric diagnosis and medications is something that we recommend. I plowed through the book and furiously with, with a highlighter and the whole time thinking, gosh, uh, all of our officers, minimum all of our officers mm-hmm. in the church need to read this because it touches on so many things that are common in our own discussions. We encourage you to get this book. It will help you in your thinking on these really, really important matters. And Mike, thank you for writing it. Mm-hmm. Sure. And for yeah. being our guest, we want to offer Mike's book, Descriptions and Prescriptions, as a premium, a giveaway. If you will come to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and you can find a place to register to win a copy of this book. If you don't win a copy of this book, then go ahead and pay for it and get it as uh, if you're a pastor, get it. If get it as a gift for your pastor. If you're a pastor and you serve with a session, read through it with your session, have your deacons read it. It's really, really helpful. And for a few of our lucky listeners, you can get a copy of it for free. Now, while you're at our website, we do want to encourage you to consider giving a financial gift. We're not going to promise you that you'll be blessed with perfect health and ever-increasing wealth, but you never know. Um, is the Alliance okay with me if I say something like that? Okay, sure, sure. I think they're fine. Uh, no, we, we would love for you to consider giving. We're, we're listener supported. We love doing this. We hope it's helpful for you. And if it is, consider giving a gift. And if you do, thank you very much. But other than that, keep listening. Mike, thanks for being with us and blessings on what you're doing. You're being very helpful to the church with the work you're producing and Godspeed on that. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Until next time, we'll talk to you again on Mortification of Spin. The girl I used to love lives in this yellow house. Yesterday she passed me by. She doesn't wanna know me now. Oh, can you see the real me? Can you? Can you? Can you see the real me? Can you? Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. 
visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... They end up closing a conversation by using this word, God is calling me to move here. If I say that this is God calling us to do that, now I'm not saying he's calling you to do that, but he's calling us mm-hmm. to do that, then then I, I think what's behind that is this hope that therefore it's got to go well. You know, there are times when we feel strongly that we, we should do something. But I think we need to understand, first and foremost, it's us feeling strongly that we should do right. that. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. So, yeah, it's informal. We run like a finely oiled machine. If you make a mistake, you're done.